What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is the Birds Podcast. So if you guys haven't heard my intro episode, I am the host of the NBA Bowl Podcast. Listen to that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And yeah, now I'm on the Birds Podcast hosting with the Hoopball Network. So today I wanted to talk about the John Wall contract. And it's a pretty tricky situation because John Wall... Obviously, it doesn't fit the Rockets' plans. The Rockets are rebuilding. They're trying to get younger. And John Wall's obviously, you know, in the twilight of his career, wanting to, you know, play for a contender, play for a winner. And not only that, he's probably the most overpaid player in the NBA. Now, I don't know if I'd go as far to say the worst contract in the NBA because he only has two years left, as opposed to some guys who have four or five years. But... He has two years, $91 million left. So that's what, $45.5 million a year is by far the worst value in the NBA. And James Harden going to sign their extension. His trading value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around. Players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole money in a life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. So, it's tricky because Houston, as I said, they're rebuilding, they're trying to get younger. You see with a lot of these bad contracts, teams will give up an asset to get off of them. Like, you know, for example, let's see here. When John Wall was actually traded to Houston for Russell Westbrook, a first-round pick was parted with from the Wizards to get Westbrook. So they said, okay, Westbrook and John Wall, they make the same amount of money, both bad contracts, but Westbrook is still better than John Wall, so let's give up a first-round pick in addition to get Westbrook. Similarly, when Chris Paul was traded from the Rockets to OKC, they gave up two first-round picks the Rockets did in order to get Westbrook. A lot of first-round picks going for Russell Westbrook, who people said that contract wouldn't be tradable. So my point is, Houston, you know, they're rebuilding. They're trying to get younger. They're not going to pull with any assets. They have to meet the salary floor anyway, which I believe is 90% of the salary cap. So they really don't have a desire to, you know, get rid of that contract. They're not desperate to get off of it. They're not going to give up an asset or a first-round pick in order to move off of it. Back to bad contracts. As I said, you had John Wall, who everyone said was untradeable after missing a year and a half with multiple injuries. And John Wall, as we know, his game was predicated on speed, so we didn't know how... He would, you know, come back from those injuries. And we saw him get flipped for Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook obviously went to the Wizards. Russell Westbrook, at one point, the contract was so large, people said that contract was untradeable. We saw Russell Westbrook get traded from OKC to Houston for Chris Paul, who people also said the contract wasn't tradable. So there's clearly a trend and a theme here. And that's that no contract is untradable. None. Zero. There was enough bad contracts in the NBA that it's like, hey, I'll trade you my trash for your trash. Or 
okay, this guy's a bad contract, but so is the guy on our team. So, you know, we'll give you a first round pick to get off of it or anything like that. And not only that, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, both on those contracts, were traded multiple times. And Chris Paul, as we know, ended up getting another huge contract this year after leading the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals. So how bad of a contract was it really? Anyway, as I said, the theme is bad contracts being traded for other bad contracts. Typically, on the NBA, what I do is when a player is in trade rumors, I'll do 29 trades and trade that player to each team in the NBA. John Wall, because of how bad of a contract it is, I didn't do that. I came up with six trades. I think probably four of them are pretty realistic. The other two, maybe Houston has to throw something in. And as I said, they're not really in a position to do that. But yeah. So before I get into those trades, we just need to remember that, yeah, you could trade your contract, your bad contract for my bad contract. Most contracts are shown to be tradable throughout the years. But look what happened with Blake Griffin. Look what happened with Kemba Walker. Both of those guys were bought out with... Blake Griffin had about $70 million left, and Kemba Walker had a whopping $91 million left on his contract that OKC bought him out for after trading for him from the Celtics. So more of the story is, yes, usually bad contracts are tradable, but sometimes they have to get bought out too. And those guys, you know, they have multiple years left. The Pistons bought out Blake Griffin and used him last year for the beginning of the year, then paid him to be on the Nets. Now they're paying him all this year. Kemba Walker, OKC's going to be paying him this year. They're going to be paying him next year. So yes, well, all, again, I know I sound like a broken record right now, but not... Every bad contract is going to be tradable. So you can't just bank on, oh, look, well, Russell Westbrook was traded twice. Chris Paul was traded twice. And we know Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner. He's the cheapest owner in sports. He does whatever he can to get out of luxury tax, which ultimately was a downfall on why James Harden wanted out because clearly he was more worried about pinching pennies than winning the championship. Despite how close they were, I'll say. But anyway... Tillman Fertitta is not going to buy out a dude like John Wall. He's not going to pay $91 million for a dude to play on a competitor. Maybe I'm wrong, but just what Tillman Fertitta has shown with how cheap he is and how much he's pinching pennies, I don't see that as a feasible scenario. To pay a guy two years, $91 million to buy him out. So anyway, let's get to the six trades that I came up with. The first one, I don't know how realistic it is. I have John Wall going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have that because the Minnesota Timberwolves desperately need playmaking, and that's why they're, you know, the favorites in Vegas to land Ben Simmons, essentially. D'Angelo Russell isn't much of a playmaker. The backup is Patrick Beverly. He's not a playmaker. Colin Anthony Towns and Chris Finch's offense will, you know, back up assist and be the focal point of the offense. But again, they don't have a true point guard there. So let's just say Toy and Prince, Patrick Beverly, and Malik Beasley for John Wall. Now, I don't know if the Timberwolves are going to want to lose that much depth and do a three-for-one where, you know, they lose a 
the starting shooting guard or starting small ball, starting wing, whatever you want to classify Malik Beasley as. Along with Torian Prince, who they just acquired, who they desperately need forwards. And Patrick Beverly, who they also just acquired, who's, I know he's a perimeter defender, but will probably be the defensive identity of this team. For a pretty washed up John Wall. So I don't love it. Especially Minnesota said they need playmaking. They also need defense. And losing Pat Bev and losing Torian Prince and losing a 3 and D like Malik Beasley, you know, that's not going to help them. The offense would be even better, most likely, with the distributor like John Wall to kick out to D'Angelo, Russell, Anthony Edwards, and call Anthony Towns. But I don't know how feasible it is. So, yeah, Minnesota was one of six teams. The next team I have on here is the Dallas Mavericks. And this one really comes down to how fed up are the Mavericks with Kristaps Porzingis. Because Kristaps is owed three years, $101 million, assuming he opts into his player option in the last year. Would you rather pay Kristaps one one for three years or John Wall two for 91? You got off the contract a year earlier, but you end up paying almost the same amount of money. I think it depends which way Dallas would want to go. I know Kristaps was bad in the playoffs, but... I don't know if he was trading for John Wall's contract bad in the playoffs. But anyway, it would be Kristaps and Dwight Powell for John Wall. Now, this would give Dallas another ball handler alongside Luka. I still believe tomorrow, I believe, is October 1st. I still believe that the Dallas Mavericks are going to end trading Dwight Powell and Moses Brown for Goran Dragic. And Goran Dragic will play with his Slovenian buddy Luka Doncic. And Dwight Powell, who is Canadian, will play for Toronto. And Toronto gets a flyer on Moses Brown when Toronto already has the worst center rotation in the NBA. They get two more centers. But that aside, I'm saying if that trade were to not go down, here's an alternative where Dallas gets another ball handler. But this time they have to probably give up. They would have to give up Kristaps. And I don't know if just saving the $10 million and saving the extra year in salary you know, is really beneficial and something the Mavs would be looking to do. Another, this one's probably the most unlikely of them all just because of how the salary is designed. The Boston Celtics desperately need a playmaker. I mean, I know they signed Dennis Schroeder and he's probably going to be the main facilitator on offense. I mean... Jason Tatum still can grow as a facilitator. Jalen Brown can still grow as a facilitator. But, like, you don't want those guys being initiating the entire offense. Dennis Schroeder, you probably don't either. And Marcus Smart definitely does. And then even, like, they have Josh Richardson, who's proven in Philly and in Dallas that he's not that guy to be a secondary ball handler and secondary playmaker. So what about John Wall and the Boston Celtics? It would be something along the lines of Al Horford... Juancho Hona Gomez and Bruno Fernando. Now, Al Horford, I know they only took him on because one, they liked him there and he was beloved by the city and the organization. But they had to get off Kemba Walker's contract. And Al Horford only has, he has 27 million guaranteed this year, but then he only has 14 million guaranteed next year if he were to be cut. So 41 million guaranteed for Al Horford over two years or 91 million for John Wall over two years. I'd rather have Horford. But, I mean, the Celtics already have Time Lord, and he's probably going to be the starting center. I imagine Horford starts at the four, and then Schroeder and Josh Richardson come off the bench. 
But again, that's a steep price to pay. I know the Celtics need creation badly, but is paying an extra $50 million over two years worth, I guess it'd be less than $50 million because you'd have Wancho's contract in there and Bruno, Bruno Fernando's only on expiring for $1.7 mil. But basically, this trade ends up working. And again, I said last episode, I'm going to try to make the salary cap for dummies. But at the same time, I'm still owning the salary cap. So basically, John Wall makes $44 million. Between Horford, Wancho, and Fernando, they make about 33 and a half to 34 This works because Boston is in the luxury tax. So with that said, they could take on 125% of their outgoing salary plus 100000 So this just barely works. So what do I mean by that? Take whatever... What I, whatever I said, Boston's salary is like thirty-three and a half to thirty-four million dollars. Multiply that by one point two five and add a hundred thousand. If John Wall makes that or less than that, the trade can go through. Now, if you took Bruno Fernando out of it, then no, it doesn't work. That's how drastic the one point seven million dollar difference makes for a team in the luxury tax. But anyway. Uh, as badly as Boston needs playmaking, obviously they're in win now mode and they're trying to compete. And Brad Stevens is a rookie GM and rookie in the front office. And Ime Udoka is a rookie head coach. But I can't see them biting that bullet and taking on John Wall's contract for that kind of money. I mean, that's a lot of money. More than what Al Horford's. If Al Horford was fully guaranteed next year, well, he had two years 55 and John Wall's two for 91. And then if Wancho was two for 14, then maybe you could convince me. But as of right now, Absolutely not. I just, I don't see the Celtics making a move like that as desperate as they offer that playmaking. Here's a fun one. John Wall going back to the Washington Wizards. Now, the Wizards obviously still have Bradley Beal. They just got Spencer Dinwiddie to be the point guard. So where does John Wall fit in that mix? You could probably run a three-guard starting lineup with a shit ton of playmaking where Beal who averaged 30 points a game back-to-back years, would just feast with Dinwiddie and John Wall, you know, initiating and playmaking for him. But what would that entail? Because when you look at this Wizards team, obviously they just traded Russell Westbrook. I think the Wizards might be improved with the package of Kyle Kuzma, Contagious Caldwell Pope, and Montrezl Harrell. And then in addition to Spencer Dinwiddie, as opposed to just having Russell Westbrook. It's a much cheaper team. So this will obviously alleviate that depth. Depth. I have John Wall for Davis Bertans, Contavious Cardwell Pope, and Thomas Bryant. Now, Bertans is on a pretty bad contract. We saw him coming off a career year, having a free agency, and he cashed in at the right time. He has three for 54 left. And again, remember, John Wall's two for 91. And then you have Contavious Cardwell Pope, who's making $13 million this year, and Thomas Bryant, who's making a little under $9 million this year and is going to be a free agent next year, coming off of the 20 ACL. Now, Thomas Bryant, the, the Wizards um, GM, said he won't even be ready till probably December, coming off that 20 ACL. In addition to that, they have Daniel Gafford and they have Montrose Harrell. Gafford was awesome after they acquired him at the trade deadline last year. It looks like he's going to be the center of the future. It wouldn't shock me if Thomas Bryan, you know, fell out of favor and 
you know, that's why I included him in the straight package. Contagious Caldwell Pope. He's good. He's a starting wing in the league. A great bench player. But again, if they believe John Wall's that piece they need, then go for it. In addition to getting John Wall, I know you're taking his albatross off a contract, but you're getting off of Davis Bertans, and that means something. As I said, Davis Bertans making plea for 54, that's expensive for what might be the Wizards' seventh or eighth man this year. Now, Louis Hachimura is taking time off right now, citing mental health reasons. So he's out right now for personal reasons. Good for him. Rui, I got your back. Get your mental right. Come back. Because without that, you're nothing. Anyway. As I said, the Wizards will be losing a lot of the depth they gains in that Westbrook trade. But basically, would last year's team with Westbrook be worse or better than Westbrook leaving, being replaced by Dinwiddie and adding John Wall. I still think that team might be better. But now, here's the thing. With, if you do Batons, KCP, and Thomas Bryan for John Wall, the Wizards will go into the luxury tax. Now, they have until the trade deadline to get out of the luxury tax. So maybe that doesn't deter them from doing the trade. But if they took out Thomas Bryan and put in Kyle Kuzma, they avoid the luxury tax. I think they'd be about 300000 over, which means, hey, trade an Anthony Gill-type guy to a team with an open roster spot and send them the cash to pay him and waive him, basically. But, again, that could be a war cross bridge when we get the problem for the Wizards. Because I think Kyle Kuzma is way more valuable than Thomas Bryant to this team, especially if they're trading batons and Rui Hachimura, you know, is taking personal time. Because then who do they have in the four? Batons would be gone. Hachimura would be with the team. Kuzma would be gone. That leaves them with who? Anthony Gill and Isaiah Todd, who's a rookie? That's not, you know, a playoff team starting one of those guys. So again, I like the homecoming for John Wall. I'm sure he's beloved by Wizards fans. But I don't say it. Now, here's my two favorites. Another team that desperately, desperately, desperately needs playmaking is the Los Angeles Clippers. Steve Ballmer is by far the richest owner in sports. He is so rich, he makes more money than the other 29 NBA owners combined. Think about that. He could pay the luxury tax like nobody's freaking business with how much money he is worth. And he wants to win. I know Kawhi Leonard is out this year. Maybe he's back for the playoffs and then you make a playoff run, but even so, you're probably a six or seven or eight seed in the West, if that. But let's just say they get John Wall and I'm going to throw into Newell House to make money work. For Eric Bledsoe, Marcus Morris, and either Sergi Baca or Luke Kennard, depending if they have Biles remorse on that Luke Kennard contract or not. So I only be able, for those of you who listen, I've been saying I don't know what the hell the Clippers front office is doing. 
You know, they've been handing out horrid contracts. Marcus Morris, 3 for 49, is terrible. Kennard, 3 for 41, I can swallow it. But, again, $90 million for those two guys over three years, I'd rather have John Wall for two years for the same amount of money. And then again, Eric Bledsoe, $18 million, and he's $4 million guaranteed next year. So, the question would be, let's say it's Kennard and Morris and Bledsoe. That would be about... $34 million next year, and then the $44 million this year. So they only paying an extra $10 million to see one year of Kawhi, Paul George, and John Wall, which would be a very fun team. You know, John Wall's ability to play, make, and distribute on that team. They don't lose that much depth. They still would have Reggie Jackson. They still have Zubac. If they were to do Kennard, they have Ibaka this year at least. Maybe you resign him. And some of the opportunity to play with Kawhi again, because that's why he went over there from Toronto to begin with. But yeah, my point is, money's clearly not a problem for the Clippers. Not only are they in a huge market, but their owner is filthy rich. And yeah, I would, I really think the Clippers are the dark horse to get John Wall because they would get off that horrid Marcus Morris contract that I hate. And they would get the badly needed playmaking that they, you know, um, that they come in. Now the most obvious one, at least I think it's the most obvious one, would be Cleveland. And remember earlier in the episode I was talking about trading bad contract for bad contracts? Well, here's a prime example of that. I'd have John Wall and, again, Denoel House to make money work. Denoel House, I think, would be maybe one of the first guys cut if they had to do like a two-for-one trade and clear roster spots. He wouldn't be cut because he, I'm sure a team would take him into a trade accession or something and give like a second-round pick for him. But the point is he's probably the mo- one of the most likely ones to fall out of favor. So I have John Wall, Denoel House, for Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio. Now, Kevin Love is, let's see, I believe he's $62 million? $60 million over two years. So, and Ricky Rubio, $17.8 million on an expiring. So, while Houston, you know, would take on a little bit of salary for this year, they end up saving roughly, what would that be? About $15 million next year. And as I said, Tillman Fatiga pinches pennies. That's something he would do to save the $15 million next year. Anyway, the Cavs we just saw are stupid. They signed Larry Markin into that albatross of a contract. They signed Jared Allen to $100 million, and they drafted Evan Mobley. Will's the room for Kevin Love with those three big men. They, they claim they're going to play Larry Markin in some at the three, but, like, come on, man. I'd much rather see a three-goal lineup of Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and John Wall with John Wall coming off the bench, not to mention Isaac Okoro. And then you know that doesn't damper Evan Moby's playing time by playing Kevin Love some. Kevin Love, I think Kevin Love ends up getting bought out a la Blake Griffin and then ends up joining like Brooklyn or something and then be rejuvenated the same way Blake was. Blake, as everyone remembers, 
couldn't even dunk anymore for the Pistons, and then the Nets traded for him, and he's jumping over Kia's again. So Kevin Love, I think he could have... I don't think he's... I think he's more washed than Blake Griffin is. But I think Kevin Love still has something left in the tank. But anyway... You've seen... And the Memphis Grizzlies are the prime team at doing this. You're better off consolidating a huge untradeable contract to equal up salary of multiple guys because those smaller contracts are easier to move than the one huge contract. So you could always trade Ricky Rubio's $17 million expiring for something to a team at the deadline. Kevin Love, if the Rockets want to buy an out, it's easier to buy, it's easier to stomach buying out two for 60 than two for 91. And again, Kevin Love is clearly falling out of favor in Cleveland. They have Larry Markin in there, Bevan Mobley there, Jared Allen. There's no playing time for Kevin Love anymore. At least John Wall would take those Ricky Rubio minutes and, you know, be that third guard. And also in that Cleveland team is interesting. You'd have Sexton, Garland, Wall, Okoro, Denul House in this scenario, Jetty Osman, um, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Larry Markinen. That's a lot of guys. And all of a sudden Cleveland would be pretty intriguing, at least offensively. Defensively, they'll still struggle. Hopefully, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are your defensive anchors. But that would be a really fun offense. It would be super undersized, especially if you ever ran lineups with John Wall, Colin Sexton, and Darius Garland. And I'd imagine you have just about two of the three of them on the court at all times. But CJ and David made it work. I know they haven't, you know, won a ring, but they went to the Western Conference Finals. But yeah. So just to review, those are the six teams I think John Walker go to. Realistically, I think the Cavs and the Clippers are the two most likely scenarios. And yeah, I told you guys a salary cap could be fun. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. I always like, you know, talking about mock trades and where players could go. Because it's interesting to see the front office aspect of it and, you know, how things could play out. Plus, I like being right, so I like predicting the future. So I like predicting a trade, which is why I do my mock offseason mock trade deadline. I try to make it as accurate as possible, and you guys will see that when that time comes. So thanks for listening. This has been episode two of the Bird Race Podcast. Rate and review me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Listen to Bird on Google, Stitcher, whatever you get your podcast, whatever podcast platform you have. Listen to Bird Rights. Listen to the NBA Bowl. Follow me at Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA Bowl. And thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next episode. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question.